name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mighty God, we give you thanks for the privilege of drawing here together this evening. We ask you to bless us, be with us, and to bless our food. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, and I, I brought some people from Silva tonight, and I think they'll tell you that the might be obsessed with my cat's ship sailed a while ago. It's very definite. Um, I have two. Their names are Bede the Venerable and Vladimir the Great, and that's all I'm going to say about him tonight, probably. Um, to the... I, the talk tonight is on um, icons, which is, which are a particular sort of visual representation of, um, to use a broad category, holy things. But before we get into icons in general, uh, specifically, it would, I think, behoove us to speak about the use of images in general. Because to, to establish why it is that we as Catholics, or in the case of, I, in, of, the case of icons, Catholics and Orthodox, um, use images, use imagery, because this is, this is very often a sticking point and has been a sticking point a number of times throughout the history of the church as well as with um, Protestants as well, with some, some Protestants. And so, I wanted, so to speak to that uh, first, and that's how St. John Damascene in his treatise on the defense of icons begins as well in the discussion with about imagery and why it's okay to use imagery. We are all aware of the prohibition against imagery, against uh, sculptures, against paintings of heavenly things in the Old Testament. Um, you know, you shall, you shall make no graven image. Uh, we are all familiar with that, that idea. And this is seen in the Old Testament generally as a prohibition against images. However, there are exceptions already. And so in the building of the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, there are the cherubims, the sculpted cherubims. Inside the temple in Jerusalem also there are sculpted cherubim. In the... Um, in the desert, when the seraph serpents start biting the people, they, Moses is commanded to build, uh, to, to construct an, an image of a seraph serpent and mount it on a pole. And so we can see already these exceptions to, these, to, to this, and in the exceptions, we can start to see the reason for that prohibition. If you were, all, I, I, I think many of many of us or all of us are familiar with that the seraph serpent that I just mentioned being mounted on a pole, and but I think fewer people know the later history of what happened with the seraph serpent because it's referred to again in the Old Testament. And what happens is after they're wandering in the desert, they take that image of the seraph serpent, and because of what it was to them, what it meant to them, God's intervention, God's God, God's help to them in their time of need, they bring it and they put it in the temple. But what happens in the later history of the temple, in the later history after the establishment of Jerusalem, and after that we see time and time again in the Old Testament a turn to idolatry in the worship of other gods apart from, apart from Yahweh. And what happens is during one of those spells, the seraph serpent itself begins to be worshipped by the people. And so later on, one of the prophets comes and they takes and destroys the seraph serpent to remove that temptation to idol worship from the people. 
And in that we can see, I think, the reason for that prohibition, the propensity of idol worship because of the, the, the atmosphere at the time was one of idol worship. Again, we see right after the exodus in, in the, the leaving of Egypt, the frustration with God, so they build the, 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 um, the, the, the uh, calf and they worship that. And so God pro prohibits them in the same commandment to not worship other gods and you shall make no and you shall make no graven image and worship that. This idea that the that we cannot build our own god, we must we mu we must worship the god who is, not the god in a sense that we want, not the god that we want to construct on our own. And so that propensity to idolatry of the people was the principal reason why there was that prohibition against images. Remember, it, the, that, that comes out right before and then right after the golden calf. The other reason why it was explained was that they did not want to make images of things above. Images of things that did not have images. During the iconoclasm um, crisis, in a sense, in the Eastern Empire between 1726 and 1843, one of the reasons why the iconoclast gave was they said they don't want to bind God. God is unbound. He's infinite. And they don't want to bind God in this, you know, in an icon, so to speak, in this visual representation. And so it was with the Jewish people as well. God is boundless. God is this infinite being. How can we depict him? How can we depict him or how can we depict the angels? Both of, those, both of these ideas then are altered in a sense with the birth of Christ, who is God, who is, as we say, the image of the invisible God. And so God comes down and the, God will be, Jesus will be referred to, in a sense, by, by some theologians, especially some of the early church fathers, as an icon of God, as the, as the, as the, as, as the human God-man, 100% human being, 100% God, but this, now we can see God face to face, because he's taken on a human nature, he's become like us, like us, as we say, in all things but sin. And so now this idea, both, for both reasons, one, God is now visual, is able to be visualized in Christ, the image of the invisible God, and also the lack of propensity towards idolatry. Again, we have, you know, we can talk about idolatry in many ways as the worship of money, as the worship of fame, success, whatever it is, but we don't tend to build things and worship them generally. Or, you know, if we see like a statue of something, you know, ah, we may want to worship that. You know, that's not something that we generally do. And so St. John Damascene, John of Damascus, in his treatise, treatises in defense of icons, discusses these two ideas in, as the beginning of his defense of iconography, his, in his beginning of his, his defense of visualization, saying that Christ himself has become the image of God. Christ himself has given us an image of God, so now we, because of Christ taking on human nature, taking on physical nature, now in a sense redeems this idea idea of visualization begins this redemption of physical matter, so to speak, in addition to humanity. And he also speaks to John Damascene of the fact that what an icon is, and we'll get to what an icon is very brief, very shortly, but what he claims that the icon is, as he said, it's an image, a representation of something invisible, something unseen. So an icon of an angel 
an icon of God, an icon of one of the saints who was, you know, here in the body, but now no longer is something we cannot see. But John of Damascus says that we represent God in words. We speak about God. And in a sense, the way he speaks of it is as an icon as similar to a verbal expression of God, except rather than in, vis- in words written down in this, in this image, in this image that tells us about God, which is why it's proper to say most iconographers who make icons will generally not say they draw or paint an icon, they say they write an icon. As that beginning of that idea of it's meant to be something else. And so, too, the use of iconography, and really the use, again, we're speaking not just of the use of iconography, but the use of imagery in general. Um, John of Damascus speaks of the different kinds of, you know, what we would call worship, the different kinds of things owed to other things. And he says that worship, properly speaking, latria is the word that he uses, is proper to God alone. We worship God and we worship God alone, only him, because no one else is God. He is the all-powerful, he is the immortal, he is the eternal God. But he says, beneath that, beneath that latria, beneath that worship, is veneration. And veneration is something we owe not only to God, but we owe to his saints. We owe to his his angels, we owe to even some people sometimes on earth that we give honor to, that we honor on earth while they're still alive on earth. And so this idea and the difference between worship and latria and veneration, dulia, and and when he speaks about icons, he says this veneration that we give to the icons which is the way he phrases it. Veneration given to the icons, dulia given to the icons, is not given to the wood, not given to the paint, not given to the gold, but rather is given to the thing that the icon represents, redounding to that thing represented in the icon. Because as in the title of this talk that was, that was given um, on the poster, icon, you know, windows to heaven, And in a sense, that's how we look upon icons, as a window to heaven. We honor the icons, but we don't worship them as the Israelites worshiped the golden calf, as the the non-Israelites, as the pagans that were around them worshiped their gods of wood and stone. We don't worship them because we know the icon isn't God but a representation of the god or the, of god or of an angel or of a saint or of or of whatever it's a representation of and we honor that as a window by which to honor the one that they represent and understanding that this particular thing about icon this theology about icons that they're meant to be this window meant to be this window, in a sense, into another world, into the eternal world, gives us an idea of why they look the way that they do. Because the first thing we notice about icons is that they look kind of funny. They don't look like what we would consider West, what we consider maybe Western style, Renaissance style in particular, art, especially Western style portraiture. To, um, I know this is being recorded for a podcast, and I apologize because I have visuals that will not transfer to that. But just imagine um, that you can see it if you're listening. I apologize. Um, but this this is actually, to, to kind of jump right in then, too, this is not a very good example, but it was the best one I had in the house. Um, but this is an icon of St. John Chrysostom. 
here. And it looks more like what we would consider Western-style portraiture maybe than a lot of other icons, especially some of the maybe older ones. But we can tell it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. The background, there is no background. It's just kind of a, a gold background. There's nothing behind him. There's nothing around him. It is just him looking straight on. There was a big controversy. I recently wrote an article for the Catholic News Herald, and I wrote it in, well, I wrote it in English, and they translated it into Spanish, because um, I can't write in Spanish. But they wanted a new headshot of me, because my old headshot just had a little goatee, and they wanted a headshot with the full beard, and they said they wouldn't run it if they didn't have a picture of my beard. And <laughs> there was a big argument that we had that I was having, not a big argument, it was very, very friendly, um, but an argument nonetheless that I was having with the, um, you know, with kind of with the editor of it, because what she wanted was she wanted a straight-on picture of me, and I said, straight-on pictures of people look terrible. They flatten everything out. I said, it'll look awful, and in that picture, if you look at the old edition of the Catholic News Herald, I did kind of look awful. Um, not that I look great anyway, but, you know, it wasn't really my best picture. But, you know, usually in Western-style portraiture, you know, there's kind of like off to the side, you know, a little bit, or kind of maybe looking up like this. The picture I sent her, I was reading a book where I was looking down like this, off to the side. That's what we do it. Iconography, typically, they're looking straight on. They're looking straight on, typically, or maybe off to the side a little bit, but typically, especially in a portrait-style like portrait icon like this one, straight on. And it almost looks, again, this one isn't the best example of it, but almost kind of cartoonish. Not in this one so, as much, but t very often, especially in icons of Christ, the eyes will be disproportionately big. The, the folds of fabric will be kind of squared off and kind of funny looking. Another thing that they do very often, and I have two better examples of this, is that they will, especially in, a, in an icon that, that depicts a scene uh, of something, they'll have multiple things going on at once, and, and it's kind of out of order in time. And so in this one, I love the icons of John the Baptist, and they'll be up here when I'm done if you want to come look at them, but this icon of John the Baptist here, and you can see him, he's talking, and he's, he's looking up to heaven, to Christ, but his head is also down in the bottom corner, but his head is also still, there's two heads, he has kind of two heads in this picture because in it they're depicting him in they're depicting him whole alive and they're also depicting him decapitated in his martyrdom also he has wings because he is a messenger of god if you remember angel angel means messenger so he's a, he's a messenger of christ the forerunner of christ and so he's traditionally depicted with wings again these very highly symbolic highly stylized ways of depicting also here in this, this icon of, of the Blessed Mother, we see her and we see Christ. And Christ, when he's depicted as a child, is very often depicted as just a very small adult. And we can actually see Mary pregnant, but you can see Jesus there. There's like a hole, like a window into, into, in, into the Blessed Mother. And we can see Christ blessing from the womb. Again, a very highly stylized, not realistic. Again, in a Western depiction of the pregnancy of the Blessed Virgin, you'd have a painting of a pregnant woman very often here in the east it's very you, you can typically see Christ in the womb of the Blessed Mother and typically he's in a blessing posture 
The reason for all of this, and there, there's a lot of other things we, we could get into, these, the, these stylized as well as the kind of rules for writing icons. Jesus is always depicted with um, red and blue clothing. Mary is also depicted with red and blue clothing, but reversed to Jesus. So red, um, I can't remember. I think Mary wears red outer garments and blue inner garments. Jesus wears blue outside and red inside. These, these, all these, and they all mean something. They all kind of tie back to, but again, the idea is that they're not realistic and they're not meant to be realistic. Because what an icon is, what this icon of Mary is, is not meant to be, this is what Mary looked like when she was pregnant. It's meant to be a window onto the idea. What was Mary's pregnancy is the question that, that, that comes up for this icon. And as we contemplate the icon, we don't contemplate you know, a pregnant woman. We contemplate even the deeper reality of the pregnancy of Mary. We, we, we contemplate that deep reality of who she was bearing in her womb, the Son of God, who even while he was in her womb was able to, in a sense, bless John the Baptist, who leaps for joy in the womb of his mother. Again, contemplating deeper reality. That's why, again, in this one, like the one of John Chrysostom, they're both looking straight on. Because as you look on, you're meant to contemplate the face, too. The face being the most expressive part of the body. That's why it's out of proportion. The eyes are too big. You know, the, the face being the most expressive part of the body, the eyes being perhaps the most expressive part of the face. In, this con in, in a sense of you looking through that window, looking to Christ. Christ looking from that window, looking to you. Icons then in the, in the Eastern tradition are, I would say, more than the, the statues would be in the Western tradition. They're seen as more essential. They're the windows that are looked through to interact with the divine. Again, and, and so like I said, some of the things like you know, the squared off folds of clothing, the very highly stylized things are meant to emphasize that this is not physical reality that's depicted, it's spiritual reality. The, the gold backgrounds that they have. Again, in this one, there's nothing going on in the background. Usually, again, in Western portraiture, there'd be like something. You know, it'd be like a, like a tree or a dog or like some furniture or something. This is just gold in the background because Mary and Jesus are in heaven, glorified in heaven with that gold background symbolizing heaven, symbolizing eternal life, symbolizing eternal glory. <laughs> And so through the icons, through the, to use icons in prayer then, is I think multifold. The, the, the way they're used is it's multifold, and in a sense they're used in the first in the first place, like we would use statues or paintings in the West as a reminder. And typically, when we talk about and when we defend the use of images um, now to our Protestant brothers and sisters, typically the way we'll do it is by saying, "Well, you know, don't you keep pictures of your family members, your mother, your father, you know, your brothers and sisters, your children." Um, um, you know, grandchildren, you keep them around to remind you of them as reminders. And indeed, that's part of it. That's why, you know, all of these icons and more and, and more, and I have statues and other paintings are all over the house, all over the rectory. I have a crucifix in every room to remind me every day of the example of the saints, to remind me of the sacrifice of Christ, to remind me of these divine mysteries. But again, the icon goes the one step further. 
and calls us to deeper contemplation of divine mystery. Not just to remind us of Mary and Jesus, not just to remind us of John Chrysostom, not to just call them to mind, but really to, by contemplating the icon, by contemplating the face of John Chrysostom, by contemplating the face of Mary, or most importantly, by contemplating the face of Christ, to draw us into the mystery the Eastern sense of spirituality is very caught up, and I think very rightly so, with mystery. In fact, the, what we call sacraments, they don't call sacraments, they call mysteries. So if you look in the, in the Missal, it's the mystery of, con, of, 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 of holy confession, the mystery of the body and blood of Christ, the mystery of baptism, to draw us into the mystery, to remind us that there's something beyond this world. Sure the, sure the, sure the saints, sure Christ himself, Himself, walked this earth, but now they're drawn up into heaven, and that's where we're going. And the sacraments are meant to draw us into heaven and to the, contemplate the eternal mysteries, and the icons are meant to do very much the same thing, to sweep us up beyond this earth. Again, that's why they don't have, they, they typically, although there, there are icons of scenes of, of, of people, you know, before churches, the, uh, the icon of John the Baptist that I have has him, you know, kind of in a rocky place where he was on earth. But again, very often there's just this flat gold background to remind us that while these people are on earth, we're meant to be drawn up into the mystery where they are. Ours is, an, ours is a very earthly religion. Ours is a very matter, a, a, a religion that makes use of matter, of things. The sacraments make use of things, of bread and of wine, of water, of oil, of all of those things. But all of those earthly things are meant to draw us to that higher existence. And the icons are meant to have us leave this world behind and draw us up into those heavenly realities. And so... That's why icons look the way they do. And we could go, you know, we could go on all night about particular symbolism in each one. Again, if you look at and if you look at again this icon of the Blessed Mother, always in the halo of Christ, there's always a cross behind to indicate that you know who he is. The halos are very often gold. The um, the the colors tend to be muted to remind us of self-restraint in this life, to you know, to to kind of calm us, to call us to self-restraint. The um, um, very often, while typically icons are meant to depict holy things, sometimes, and I didn't bring my icon of the Ladder of Divine Ascent, but if you're listening on the podcast, look up Ladder of Divine Ascent, and I'll wait a second. <laughs> Okay, you've got it now. And in it, there are depictions of demons as well. But they're very small. Evil things, bad things are sometimes depicted, but they're depicted proportion in proportion to their goodness, in proportion to their worth. And so, and so again, meant to call our mind to the greatness of goodness and the smallness of evil, the pettiness of evil, the pettiness of the demonic. You know, again, the demons never have faces. They're, they're almost, again, if you look up the ladder of divine ascent icon we've got it now and or if you've got a smartphone here you're looking it up now too um, they're almost like stick figures they're not as they, they don't really look like it they're like little smudges again to, to, to call us to deeper contemplation of heavenly mysteries to give you an idea, if you've never been in a, a an Orthodox church or a an Eastern Catholic church, um, I will um, 
again look up look up the inside of one of them again because you go into them typically and rather than there being just a couple of steps into the sanctuary or a rail in front of the sanctuary we have at St. Mary's there's a wall the iconostasis which is this wall with images with these icons all over it again symbolizing that the, that the sanctuary is the heavenly realm and these are the people that populate the heavenly realm they the ordering of the icons on, a, on an iconostasis is very deliberately done very properly done and that and those icons are used during divine liturgy as well in fact it is it's either very strongly discouraged or not allowed I can't remember which one um, to have divine liturgy without at least an icon of the Blessed Mother and of Christ because they're incorporated so much into the into the ceremony that, that they're considered almost these essential parts these essential windows into the mysteries of God and the mysteries of his angels and of his saints and so again we could go on quite a bit it's been um, coming up on a half hour now so I will draw it to a close but to leave you with this the that Christ himself comes to earth, takes on a human nature, takes on a human body as the beginning of the image of God who is invisible. We imitate Christ in we imitate Christ in that way by by visualizing these heavenly things. But in an icon, we don't do it in an earthly way. We do it on a, in a way that transforms transforms us, takes us to another place, takes us to eternity. And so I encourage you um, to find you know to you know have an icon or two around the house. Use it in prayer. Use it in contemplation to contemplate heavenly reality again. We are spiritual people. Our faith is a spiritual faith and our home is not here on earth, but it's in heaven. But you and I, while we're here on this earth, are bodily people. We're sensual people. To the use of the icons, the use of imagery in general, and I would say the icons in particular, is an opportunity for us to use that sensual nature of ours, especially our sight, to draw us closer to divine mysteries. It helps us because we're not purely spiritual beings. We're spiritual spiritual and bodily and to use our body then to rather than to use it for you know base pleasure rather than to use our body for you know for just earthly things but to use our body especially our vision in this case to draw us to heavenly realities is is very useful very helpful for us so I encourage you you know find one or two use them for contemplation allow them allow that stylized almost surreal at times imagery to draw you in into the mysteries of God. Allow the sacraments, which are themselves spiritual and physical, to draw you into the mysteries of God, to take you from this world, at least for a time in prayer, to contemplate God in his infinite goodness and in his infinite holiness. And I'll be done now. I never am good at ending things, and so I just kind of say, I'm done. Um, yeah, ending with heaven, that's good. That's the way I'd like to end myself. <laughs> um, but so formulate very difficult questions. And I said earlier that you call it question and answer. I call it question and crafty evasion. Um, but I'll do the best I can later. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
and just to interrupt, like I said, the, I have the, if you want to come and look at them in slightly better light, and there are a couple icons that I didn't show either, including the best icon ever, which is of St. Uh, Jonah being spit up by the fish while preaching already. And so it's <laughs> tremendous. But again, it's that condensing of time into one image, one moment. So, <laughs> Thank you, Father Joshua. Um, so typically at this time we have a little table discussion, a chance for us to talk amongst ourselves about what Father Joshua talked about. Um, and I'll give you guys just a couple discussion questions to maybe lead uh, that talk. The, the first is, um, is an interesting challenge. What images do you have in your house right now? Um, secular and sacred. Uh, do you have images of celebrities on your wall? Do you have family? Do you have sacred images on your wall? But what's there? Really think about what images you have displayed in your home. Um, and maybe talk about, like, what does that mean that we put up those images of, of things secular and sacred? Uh, the second is just what spiritual images speak to you? Um, what you know, what can you imagine from the scenes of Christ's life or from the saints' lives or from, um, you know, icons that you've seen, that these are images that really do draw you into heaven, that when you see them, they sort of draw you up into the divine life. Um, and then finally, just, you know, where can you place some images in your home? Where can you place some icons of, um, of our Lord, of Our Lady, that would draw you into heaven, that would be a place that would remind you, as Father Joshua talked about, of our call to divine life, of our call to a spiritual life uh, beginning even here on earth. So what images do you have in your house now? What images speak to you? And what images could you bring into your home to, to help you in your prayer life, in your spiritual life? And uh, as they say, talk amongst yourselves. Go. So, Father Joshua, would you be willing to do some question and evasion? <laughs> now, incidentally, if this is still being recorded, I'm not trying to buzz market anybody, but um, St. Isaac the Syrian, uh, if you type in St. Isaac the Syrian on Google, there's um, St. Isaac the Syrian Skeet, who sells wonderful icons, most of mine, that's where I got them, and they have a wonderful icon of Jesus in Gethsemane. <laughs> so... And if they hear that and want to send me one, <laughs> I'm thinking since so this is being podcast, this might be my big break to like really achieve a Fulton Sheen level of fame, which is my one goal in life. <laughs> but any questions or comments or if you want to throw anything at me? <laughs> I, I think really, and it's a sad irony, the one, the one that I own that I didn't bring is the Ladder of Divine Ascent. It, it, and, it's, and I think it is both because of the icon, iconographic content of it, and again, if you, when you look at it, it's, it's a bunch of monks going up, heading up a ladder, and there's Jesus at the top. But on the underside of the ladder, there's little, the little demons with you know, hooks and things trying to drag the monks off. Again, kind of that reminder, and, it, and it's an it's icon really for monks, but I figure if I'm a parish priest, that's kind of almost close enough to being a monk. Um, I can swing it. Um, 
But it's that reminder that not only are we on that ladder to heaven and that Christ awaits us and he strengthens us to bring us up, but also that there are those other powers that are trying to bring us down and to not give in to that. I think the other reason why I like it, and if, you know, and if I could push something else too, um, the uh, it's because at the t at the top is Christ, but kind of on the ladder still. But at the top of the ladder is Saint John Climacus, who wrote the Ladder of Divine Ascent, which is a wonderful uh, book for spiritual reading. The Ladder of Divine Ascent by Saint John Climacus, and so um, and so I think I think that that's one that I, I do have that in my little corner where my kneeler is and where I pray and everything. And I think I think that's my my favorite one again because it's a good reminder to me. Um, of kind of that struggle, like you said, that struggle to find holiness. I, I think, I, I think, well, you know, the, you know, uh, you, you say, aside from looking at it quietly, I think I, I, I would say, you know, that that would be, you know, kind of, I, th I think that's step one. Um, it, it, the iconography, too, I think it's, again, to, the creation of an icon is properly said to be writing rather than drawing or painting. And so to learn how to read them, you know, and so, you know, icon, because again, like I said, icon is more than just a pretty picture. There's a reason why it looks the way it looks. If somebody's holding something, if there's something in the background, or if there's, you know, you know what they're wearing, you know, the colors that they're wearing, you know, you know, to be able to read that and say, this is why, again, draws you more and more into that. Like, I think, and one of my, one of my, another one of my favorite icons is of St. John Damascene. And kind of, I mentioned at the beginning, there was the iconoclasm heresy where they're destroying the icons and John of Damascus. John Damascene was one of the great defenders of icons and so he comes up, he's defending this concept of iconography and he wins the day and they bring back the icons and so because he defended the icons on the, the, the one icon of him that I'm thinking of he's, he's vested like a priest because he, he was a priest or a bishop but he's vested like a priest but all over his vestments are icons, you know he's just like covered in them because he defended them and so there they are but again if you just look at that and you don't know that then you know it's just again it's kind of interesting, it's kind of a nice picture, but it doesn't really tell you anything. But when, once you learn how to read them, once you learn how to do that, you can look at it, you can kind of absorb that from them. And again, that draws into that deeper mystery. <clears throat> mystery. The... Um, also, just um, as pra as part of practice, the um, during divine liturgy or even privately at home, typically the icons are incensed. You can again, if, in any good you know icon supplier, um, which of which I recommend Isaac the Syrian, because um, they're sponsoring me this evening. Um, but they sell they'll sell little hand sensors, you know, to you know for incense, you know, around the icons again, not to offer the wood and the paint incense sense but to offer what they represent in sense so kind of that 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 offering there too so there is there can also be that more kind of physical you know there, there's there's something about you know kind of getting up and doing something whatever it is that helps prayer again like i say because we're physical we're physical creatures um and so and so i find that but i think i think the beginning and the end of it is still quiet contemplation i think i think that's where we start we do all the other things and then we kind of end back there too i think and i also recommend flannery o'connor because as he mentioned i did my undergraduate degree in english and that was my thesis was on flannery o'connor but so go on i'm interested <laughs> Doesn't he get, if I remember right, he gets like a huge tattoo of Christ like on his back. Like it's like, like a full side, like all down his back. It's like Christ enthroned or something, like on his back. And his wife goes ballistic. <laughs> <laughs>
but yeah, no, in Flannery O'Connor. But I, like I said, it's been a while since I read Parker's back. But yeah, I and I don't really remember it that well. But yeah, there is. If I remember, there's that ten. Well, she didn't like his tattoos anyway, and she. I think if I remember right, the reason why she freaked out not only was because it was a new tattoo, but because it was a tattoo of Jesus. It is like, how are you? Kind of like I said at the beginning, how are you drawing God? That's terrible. And she just goes nuts and like. I think she like drives him out of the house and like you know beats him with a stick or something. <laughs> Flannery O'Connor's fantastic though. Read her if you haven't, especially if you're from the South and if you if you're a Catholic from the South and you've never read Flannery O'Connor, shame on you. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> Anything else? All right. Oh wait, okay, sorry, I, I, have, I have something, another thing I want to advertise before I go. Um, I've been talking about, you know, Eastern spirituality, Eastern prayer. It just so happens that this, well tomorrow they're showing up, but this Friday there will be several uh, priests and deacons from the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church who use the Byzantine rite of, in their liturgy, will be at St. Mary's in Silva have, offering divine liturgy at 6 o'clock Friday evening. There'll be a talk about you know how to receive communion and things because it's quite a bit different. Um, but if you can make it, that'd be, it's it's a rare opportunity up here. There are the closest um, Eastern Catholic parish to right here is in Raleigh, so um, it's it's not a common thing up here. So uh, 5:30 in Silva, if you're interested, um, they will be there. We do it about once a year now because I know all those guys. So um, just to plug that, and it's related to the topic because we have to set up a little like kind of stasis for them and everything too. <laughs> so it's fun. <laughs> Alright, so my two duties are, first one is just if everybody would extend their thanks and we have a little physical oh, token of thank our thanks. You. Oh, thank you. Um, and then the second is in the grand tradition of the Acts of the Apostles. Um, We're doing a drawing. Um, everybody should have received a number, so get out your number. Um, for a, We have a selection of Catholic books of which you have a chance to win your choice from.